Hello friends, and welcome to another wonderful episode of Fans on the Run, featuring me, Frederick French Pounce, your wonderful host from Mixology. Up first today, we're going to be listening to the theme tune from Fans on the Run. We'll start this time with the mono mix. Into the stereo. Oh, hi, Ethan. Nice to see you. The fuck are you doing with my intro? <laughs> this is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles folks. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alexander. Hi there, future Ethan here with... Oh, Frederick of the future. Frederick of the future. Okay, we're we're recording a few little uh, bits and pieces to to tack on to this episode because, um, you know, I will admit I did let I did let things slide and I didn't edit the episode for you know a couple months and you know since we since we recorded that episode things have happened, haven't they? Oh, yes, they have. So just keep an ear out for uh, at various points in the episode. Well, us in the future will chime in. All right, all right, all right, all right. All right, all right. Welcome back to another episode of Fans on the Run, the show that can and probably will. It might not, but most likely it does. See right there. That's a, that's a classic fans on the run introduction. I'm trying to get back into the swing of things. I'm trying to make even less sense as the show goes on. Hopefully by the end of it, it reaches its logical conclusion where I can barely speak. But <laughs> I can barely speak right now because of how excited I am with our with today's guest as he is the host of one of my personal favorite podcasts. Uh, mixology, the mono stereo mix differences show, and he also hosts another show called Back to Mono. And if you have listened to this show, uh, if you're a regular listener of mine, you know I like talking about mono mixes and getting into the nitty gritty, even when it's not appropriate. <laughs> but now it is quite apropos. If I'm using that right, which I might be, but I might not be. But that's why you tune in. Please welcome Frederick French Pounce. Hello. Thank Fred, you for having me. Fred, thank you for coming on the show. It's, it, it, it's a pleasure. So how do I, how are you doing this fine afternoon for you? Uh, yeah, it's, it's half two in the afternoon for me on a lovely Wednesday. Um, it's nice. It's really sunny outside. So um, I've got this week off work just because why not? Um, so it's been it's been nice getting bits done, podcast stuff, and just having some time just to listen to music. Well, that that's always that's always the fun bit because we 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 us record collectors we tend to buy a lot of records. But I mean, I did buy some earlier as well. So. It's when it comes to listening to them, uh, it's it's a little bit hit or miss. 
do you do you listen to every single record that you buy? I I I tend to make a point. There's the odd LP where maybe, especially certain compilations, where I'm getting it for the certain tracks. Maybe there's a mix on there or something. I bought, for instance, earlier this uh, backtrack compilation because it's got the two Who tracks that were the Stones covers they did. Ah uh, yes. Um, it's got them. Well, the mon- obviously they're only in mono, but it's got them in true mono on here. Um, and getting this was cheaper than getting the original 45 so you know it's things like that it's got a couple it's got i probably play it because it's probably got other good tracks on it and there are some that i do enjoy but that's mainly what i got it for i i don't see many of those those backtrack compilations too much over here but occasionally you will i have the the backtrack one with uh, just all john and whistle songs Oh yeah, 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 and you know, I I like listening to that. <laughs> I mean, that that that's definitely a fu- a fun choice. So, if you don't mind me asking, what are some of the the most recent records that you've added to your collection? Well, obviously, that in itself is one. Let's lean over here. Uh, also, this morning I got uh Three Dog Nights debut. Uh, an American pressing, randomly, for a couple of quid, so that's nice. Uh, Vanity Fair, The Sun, The Wind, and Other Things. So this, I don't know if you saw my Instagram, they're the group that did the cover of I Live for the Sun. Yes. It's all covers, but it's just that late 60s sort of funny British sunshine take. It's almost like Brits trying to be American, but beat as well, And it's but in the late 60s, I don't know. It's cheesy, but it's fun. Yeah. Um, I I I, I enjoy movie. quite a bit of British sixties cheese. Oh, I mean that's what I'm in it for, to be honest. Yeah, even when they're trying to do it serious, it always oh. ends up just sounding a little bit like a put yeah. on, and yeah. I mean that in the nicest possible oh, way because I I, I go agree. out of my way to buy records that sound like that. I mean, I'm exactly the same. That's, like, that's why I'm always picking up. Th- I go to boot fairs and get singles because they're always so cheap. And I just look at them and go, this will probably be fun. This will probably be silly. I have no idea what this will be. I'll get it back and go, this is so goofy. I love it. Like, the Alan Bound is the band that comes to mind. Not one I'm familiar with. uh, They they had a, uh, you know, they appear on all those, you know, kind of psych compilations. Okay, They had the song uh, Toyland. Okay, I th- I think you say that 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 rings a bit more a bell, but I'll 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 okay. send you some links. Yeah, I'll definitely I'll definitely have a listen. They're quite an interesting group. I'm going from what you said, it sounds like it's that Toy Town psych type Exa- thing. It is exactly that. Perfect. I mean, who can say no to that? I mean, I'm sure lots of people, but we in our field. I have some um some questions later on about. Uh, you know, reissues and pressings and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, is there anything, any, I'll, I'll actually, you know what, I'll ask you now so I can kind of have it make sense. Um, are there any like specific labels or, uh, people involved in that process that you get excited for when you hear of like a new reissue or a compilation? Um, so, I mean, the one that usually comes to mind is, 
one of your previous guests, Andrew Sandoval, because, um, I mean, obviously his curation with his own show, Come to the Sunshine, just the work he's done in the past with other groups has always been top-notch. Um, so that's always an e- easy starting point. There's p- there are others, but I don't know. I, I, I've, I, I need to dig more into sort of the more recent compilations of these things because... I find most of my discovery is kind of through just self-digging. Um, as I said before to you, it's I find it kind of hard to almost run off other people's bits and pieces. Not because I don't think I'll enjoy it. It's just, I don't know, sometimes the spark isn't always there in the same way. It's just finding it yourself. <laughs> um, but... Um, well, I, I view yeah. those kind of compilations as a, as a tool for yeah. finding more stuff based on what you already like. So if you look at the track list and it's like, oh, look at that, there's uh, you know, Matrimonial Fears by The Cymbeline. Or, uh, you know, ooh, some Blossom yeah. Toes tracks. And so you put the whole thing on. And even if it's, like, you know, 60 tracks and there's only, like, five other tracks that you might find interesting, there's five tracks that you wouldn't have necessarily heard. Yeah, I mean, I I do completely get it. Um, and there's certain things like I've never actually listened to the original Nuggets compilation for whatever reason. Um, and obviously that that's the, the that that's like the original starting point of all of all that. Um, but I know most of the tracks on it at this stage, so I might as well just stick it on at some point. But somewhere down the line. Now enough enough of this non Beatles nonsense. Yes, I'm going to ask you. Beatly goodness. <laughs> we're we're here for Beatle nonsense. So Fred, how did you first discover the Beatles? So aside from obviously them existing in my world for my entire life, because how is that? I mean, everyone everyone knows a lot of Beatles songs, even if they don't realize it, because yeah. that's certainly where I was at. And then 2009, um, I went over to a friend's house and he had a pirated copy of the Beatles rock band. And we played it. I enjoyed it. And then I eventually got my own copy and I played it 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 and played it. And basically, it evolves from there. Um, Remember, playing- kids, home taping kills music. <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. Um, but the main thing was that I remember as I was playing through the story, my copy was a. I had, actually I had two. I had two copies of the actual game because I got the standalone one and then I got the bundle with all the instruments in. Um, and I remember as I was playing through the main story, if you like, every it was basically every other song. I was like, oh, I oh this is a Beatles. Oh, this is a Beatles. Oh, this is. A, I remember the biggest one being Here Comes the Sun. I think like there were quite a few, but I remember that one being like. Oh, okay. Um, obviously, the marketing around that just did work. I know it didn't do the numbers they hoped it would, but it obviously did work in some respect. I'm not. I know I'm not the only. Obviously, I had a couple of friends who I was playing it with that had the same experience, and I've got a friend over in Nashville that also had the same thing. So, um, it it may not have done the numbers for the actual game. But I think as as a advertising campaign for that whole, you know, the rock band and the, yeah. the two thousand nine reissues, 
it it certainly helped. If anything, the rock band just helped sell the the actual albums. Without a doubt. I mean, I got given two of the CDs that Christmas, but one of my dad's friends got me Abbey Road and Sgt. Pepper. Um, but I was... My dad had always been a... had never stopped getting or playing records as such. Um, it was it wasn't his primary purchasing completely through like he's got a lot of CDs as well, but the records are always around. So I immediate as soon as I became interested, I kind of gravitated towards the record side of it very quickly. Um, so I mean, I I, I bought my first Beatles record in early 2010. And what what was that first Beatles record that you purchased? Now here's the thing, I cannot remember whether it was the single or the LP. The first single was the green sleeve reissue of Yellow Submarine. From 76? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And then the LP was the Red Album, uh, because it was the one I found in the shop that was cheapest at the time, I don't know, six quid or something like that. Actually, Um, here's here's a question, because I want to know if it's the same... Over in over in the UK as it is here, okay. Do you tend to find more uh, copies of the Red Album in in used shops than the Blue Album? Because it it seems like here you find one Blue Album for every like two or three Red Albums. That's an interesting question. I've never considered that because obviously once I got them, I stopped mentally acknowledging them. But now you say it. I don't know. I think it might be pretty even over here. I don't feel like it's always red, but maybe, maybe, maybe it is. But I feel there's a pretty even balance in my in my mind of what I've seen as I flick through. I mean, usually you look at a Beatles box, you can say, "Oh, there's the red album, there's the blue album," just from the top because, yeah, well, colours stand out. But yeah. well, I think we all kind of get to a. Like, if you're a serious Beatle collector, you get to the point where you can identify pretty much every single Beatle album from just the top centimeter in a record bin. Especially when I was younger, and I couldn't always reach the the top of the record bins, so I would have to flick like this, and... For for the listeners out there, I am miming, flipping records over the top of my head. And yeah. so that's how I looked for Beatle albums. But enough about me. <laughs> so at what point did you become aware or interested in the difference in the mixes? So this is one that's very interesting. I'm trying to think whether I got into mono and stereo first or the US catalogue first because that has its own mi- my my transition to US catalogue was obviously the US version of I Feel Fine and She's Woman I guess for obvious reasons um, but as far as the mono and stereo directly there was a YouTube video by a guy called Joe Mon. Oh, John Montagna. Yes. The video, or just the audio for it, got taken down, and I wish I could see it again, but that was the video that came up for me. 
And I was like, ooh. Um, for for listeners out there, if you want to hear more about John Montagna, go listen to episode 10, I think it was, with John Montagna. Oh, amazing. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, it's his fault. Um, I, I, I concur. Yeah. Did, did you did you see the same video then? Yes. I mean, obviously, obviously you'd seen his videos. Oh, but, um, I, I saw all of them, including yeah. the ones that have now disappeared into yeah. the uh, dungeons of copyright takedown notices. Yeah, I would, I would give any, not anything, but I would give a lot to see that video again. I, I could, I, I may send John uh, a Facebook message. <laughs> it's like I want to see these again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I I did watch all the all, all the others that he put up, but that was the, the fact that that was the gateway. Um, because I remember looking in the advertising booklets or leaflets that came in like the game and the CDs, and I was like, "What is this mono box? I can see it's missing a couple of albums. What? what, what is, why is it? Why is it so small? What is what? What? What is mono? What is stereo? Like I, I didn't, I couldn't conceive what this meant. And then it all made sense. Um, so. When it comes to those CDs, um, I'm assuming. Did you did you finish collecting all the the stereo CDs first, and then get the mono box? What or did actually you... happened? Oh, I was well, gonna well, say, let me know what actually. Yeah, happened. I was, was going to say I got. I think I might have got one more CD, and then basically through a bit of luck and some. Gentle persuasion. I ended up with the stereo boxer anyway, and then I basically sold the couple of CDs I had to a friend. Um, so I had the stereo box, and then the mono box I ended up with a little bit further down the line because I, in my excitement and unknowing, I did. I was temporarily the owner of one of the many bootleg ones out there. Oh yeah. Um, and that arrived. A measurable disappointment got refunded and actually sent it back, which seems odd in hindsight. Like, I mean, I don't want it, but equally, it's like I assume it wasn't really worth anything to the other guy. But I don't know. Um, I think at the end of twenty, I think Christmas twenty ten, I ended up with the actual mono CD box set. But I've been able to pick up a lot of the mono LPs by that time. So, um, because that I was, I was, I it, it obviously. Things were picking up then at that stage in an early way for sort of vinyl. Nowhere near where it got to a couple of years ago, but at that stage it was minor, but I was still a basically... I I missed that period of of time where the the vinyl resurgence had started, but the, the prices hadn't gone through the roof. I mean, my Mono White album from a record shop it doesn't have posters or or um inserts was a fiver it's that sort of thing five five quid five for quid, five pounds five great british pounds god damn it <laughs> <laughs> i i mean i didn't pay that much for mine uh compared to what they could go for but man i'd like to spend a fiver i mean it's Certainly, it's not the best copy, but I mean, it plays. Except for, I think there there might be a skip in 
glass onion occasionally um but it's it's it might not even have done that on the player i had at the time i can't remember but i think all my mono copies the most i ever paid for one was four pounds outside of the white album which was an extra pound for um None of them are particularly... It's not like I've got a mono gold please please me for £4. Though no. one of my dad's cousins has a mono gold please please me. And I want it. But he but he bought it when he was 13. And it's like, ah, like, oh, that's quite cool actually. So that's a separate matter. I'm, I'm going to break uh, tradition here. And probably break etiquette by bringing up pricing. Uh... Because in terms of deals I've gotten, I did get my original mono pepper for, I think, $15, $15 okay. American dollars. Original oh, British. US or, oh, British. Okay, yeah, that's what I was asking. An original British uh, mono at a, a Beatle convention. Because okay. it was like the Sunday... You know, we have to get rid of these records before we fly away. Yeah. And at at a different... No, it was earlier that same convention. I paid 50 bucks for a uh, Top Loader White Album. I I now remember it, it wasn't mono, and now my, my disappointment will consume me. <laughs> but, and also just in the last year... I managed to pick up a mono yellow submarine, which was one oh, nice. of my kind of grails at a yeah. local record shop. It was still quite pricey, but it wasn't even a quarter of what it goes for on yeah. Discogs. I mean, I've never seen one, so. Well, I've got one. <laughs> um, but I. Back to the mod. I may edit some of my rambling out because I feel terrible for dominating conversation. No, it's fine. It it's all it's it's a learning process, folks. Um, I did get my mono box set uh, through gentle persuasion as well. Um, except mine was maybe a little less gentle. Uh, it was. It consisted of about five or six months of me badgering my my dear mum every yeah. time uh, we walked by or walk or were in HMV, saying and they had it for sale. And I was like, "Oh, mum, can I have it? Can I have it?" <laughs> and she she got it for me. Bless her. No, One no. day, like six months later, just just being like, "Oh, just be quiet. Have it." <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure it was a gift or reward of some kind. Yeah, I mean, it was a long time ago now. I was eight or nine. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I got into the mixed differences quite wow, early on. yeah, that's, yeah. Except I didn't care about anyone else's mixed differences. I uh, didn't for a little while, but... Oh, I didn't for a long while. Yeah. I think... The first group where I started listening for differences was The Who. Okay. That's, that's in interesting because so much of their material, well, a, good, a surprising chunk is mono only, so it's kind of like um, there's a smaller 
smaller section there. But there, I mean, as I was going to say earlier, I mean, you've got some sellouts. Which, that's that's the one. Yeah, which, as listeners should know, I covered very recently. Yes. <laughs> you know what, listeners out there, pause this episode. We'll still be here. Go listen to, go listen to the, the who sell out episode of Mixology, and then come back. Now, man, wasn't that a good episode? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we love a bit of shameless promo. Oh, of course, that's what we're all here for. That—that's at the end of the day. That's what we're. We aren't. We aren't entertainment personalities. We're salesmen. Exactly. We're we're not here to entertain you at all. So I'll ask you the same question. Um, what was what was the band besides the Beatles? that triggered your interest in in the differences in the mono and stereo mixes or the first other group where you noticed i will say um i'm gonna go with the kinks because i huge kinks fan um i mean being british that probably makes sense anyway but i got the but basically i kind of was a i feel like for a while i was i thought Oh, other groups obviously just don't have these differences. <laughs> and then I remember in 2011, because I was a big fan, I, I got into the Kinks in a big way, and then 2011, they started doing the, the two CD reissues with the mono and stereo discs and then bonus tracks and whatnot. And I got, the first one I got was for something else, which is my favourite Kinks album, I think. I, I, I can never pick one, really. It's my favourite as well. Um, But... I remember looking at it being like, this has the best selection of bonus tracks looking at it, and it's. I still say that. It's got so, so many like demos and alternate things and whatnot. And I remember listening to, because I think the CD I had before was mono only, and I listened to the stereo mix, and there's so many bits in there that are just obvious, extra notes at the beginning of Tin Soldier Man. Um, the other ones the as well, slight difference in uh, you know, edit... At the beginning of of the album and beginning of David Watts, yeah, yeah, how it's, it's, it's a bit of a, you know, there's a bit more. Instead of like a, you know, hard yeah. cut, it's like this: the master one, two, three, four. It feels a bit more natural rather than yeah, yeah. one, two, three, four. Da, 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 yeah, da. yeah. I mean, it's and that I'm playing that and being like, oh, okay, there are some very noticeable ones here. And I thought, okay, let's 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 keep going with this then. Um, and if I may add, just for a bit of stubborn Canadian pride, yeah. uh, that's one of the instances on that on that something else deluxe, I believe. There is an exclusive Canadian mix. There is of there, there afternoon is tea. Yes. And for what it's worth, um, have you ever picked up a Canadian mono copy of something else? I do not. I have a. Well, it, in you know what, enlighten me as to why I should. I I'm going to enlighten you as to why you shouldn't because oh. it's, it, it's well, it's a fold down, so it's not the true mono mix. But because the mixes are done with out of phase elements, there's lots of tracks that are missing bits, including tracks that are missing the lead vocals. Missing lead vocals. Because when you fold it down, it just cancels it out. Okay, no, it's, that just makes me want to pick one up even more. Yeah, I mean, just play back a stereo copy and see 
what it is. But uh, to be honest, I agree with you. If I came across one for cheap enough, I'd be like, oh, go on then. This is just stupid. I, I want it. Because <laughs> I've got a stereo one. Yeah. Now I, I mean, now I need yeah. a mono one. I mean, it's it's not as cool as a mono UK copy. Oh, I I wish I had all original Kinks UK LPs, but they're just so expensive. I I've mentally settled for the the reissues from 1980, like just uh, yeah, before the, they switch the over to PRT. Ones. Oh, which which which? So they're I'll, like I'll, it's like a black and uh, oh, yeah, gray. Yeah. Uh, I know the ones. Yeah, pie label. So I, I have most of those. I'm okay. missing the the first one, Kelvin Hall, and yeah. then the last two or three. Okay. I mean I I had a I had quite a few of the PRT ones and then I, I and then I did get the twenty sixteen mono box set and as as I'm sure you've read it it does sound fantastic. So that those are the ones I have settled for, but I do have original mono and stereo copies of Face to Face oh. just because I've come across them for good prices. I just realized. Okay, so listeners, I'm in I'm in the middle of a move right now. So all my most of my records are packed away, but I just realized one of the few records I have kind of out uh because I picked it up quite recently and uh was the 1970 oh, nice. uh Kinks uh double LP on pie. Yeah, I've got that one as well. Um, Again, in glorious swinging mono. Indeed. I mean, it's the only way it was issued, and certainly most of the stuff was only issued that way, so... Um, one of the sides has a couple of weird speed issues. Um, I feel like I feel like Well-Respected Man was a bit slow, a couple of things like that, but it's, I thought it sounded good, so I'm happy with it. Um, well, my turntable and my stereo are all packed away, so it's all yet to be seen. <laughs> well, um, I mean, yeah, those blue pie labels are, and, and the pink ones as well are, are pretty gorgeous, anyway. So, so um, I I know you're a. I'll ask. I'm I'm trying to figure out a good way to segue. Keep in mind that it, it's pretty early in the morning for me, so my <laughs> I'm running kind of. You know, I'm I'm trying to fire on all cylinders. Yeah. Um, you are a big Beach Boys fan, it yes. seems, and yeah. uh, I figure they and the the Beatles and some of these other groups may be a good uh, avenue to ask you, as someone who collects records from, you know, both sides of the Atlantic, uh. Like myself, but you, it seems like more so. Um, what, what are the the qualities that? Uh, what do you think? I'm again. I'm stumbling over my words here. What are what are the best aspects of, you know, British pressings, and then like the best aspects of American pressings in your experience? That's a good question because I do a lot of the stuff like that I do really enjoy and that's why I pick up the ones from across across the world. Um, with British ones, generally speaking, if the source is good, the LP is usually, not always, but usually cut pretty well. I find the US 
they can have really good standing LPs, but sometimes they can be they can cheap out on certain things. Yeah. Um, certain labels like Dunhill, the vinyl's usually pretty rubbish. Um, whereas usually a British pressing of the same album is pretty good. But if they get sent pretty poor copy tapes, then it's only going to go so far. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the jackets themselves. I like both in their own ways. I love a good 60s flip back cover with the laminate and everything. Always looks pretty gorgeous. Um, But equally, a US cover that's in good condition is really nice. It's sturdy. It's, I I just like, my copy of Magical Mystery, I like knocking on it. I know it seems a bit weird. (laughs) No, I I get it completely. Because it's like a nice, thicker stock of card. Yeah. But at the Whereas same time, yeah. it's it, it may not be the the nice, you know, crisp gloss of like a Garrett and Lofthouse cover. Yeah. But I I fairly recently I've only started appreciating a good tip on jacket like yeah. the American style. I mean, for for me, the the issue with the American ones over British ones is that they're obviously don't stand the test of time as well if they're not no. handled correctly. Well, because the construction method, it may look nice when they're mint, uh, they are so structurally unsound. Oh, they are. But... It, it, it's it's holding itself together with, like, the thinnest of... Thin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh, there was something I was going to say then. You can edit this pause out while I think. I, I can... I'll jump in while you're thinking the one thing that i don't like about uh british jackets is that when you when you find them in you know rougher shape uh usually the back covers are a lot worse than what you will find on you know rough american or canadian copies like they're a lot dirtier and yellow I get what you mean. I mean, one of the things that's definitely helped with that is um, I can clean the dirt off the flip backs, yeah. um, which make makes a huge difference. But the thing I've remembered is that I find a lot of UK 60s LPs, compared to their US counterparts, and this mainly stands for US albums over here, the cover colour is a lot deeper and fuller. If you ever, if you compare, say Dylan's albums like Highway Six One Revisited or um, Bring It All Back Home, the colours are so much more vibrant on the British one, yeah, compared to the US one. And the one I absolutely love, uh, with Birthday by the Association, is obviously a really colourful cover. The UK is just gorgeous. The colours are so rich and deep compared to any replication of the US one I've ever seen. And also the same goes for Instant Replay by the Monkeys, which again, very colourful cover. I saw a US one while I was over there, and it looked good, but the US one, the UK one just looks better. And I guess it's just the way that they arranged the printing over there. Just there's obviously, they've stuck more ink into it in the UK. The, the, the example of that that comes to mind for me, that kind of blew me away the first time I compared the two, I have an original Canadian uh, Disraeli Gears by Cream. Oh, yeah. And then I picked up an original uh, Reaction British copy. 
and holy shit, they're different. Like, it, it, it looks like it was printed in proper, you know, glow-in-the-dark neon day-glow paint. Yeah, it really does. I mean, I, this, so I, for listeners, I'm holding up the jacket for an original monocopy. I have the jacket only because my dad found it in a charity shop, no LP, and thought, and basically they they let him take the jacket because it didn't have an LP. But um, obviously I'd like a mono LP to go in it. Don't even really care on the condition to a degree. But the jacket is probably worth the price of admission. In oh, this yes. case, free. But yeah, um, the colours are just gorgeous. Another one, I think it's also because it's the same company, same label, sort of. Uh, the, the Bee Gees first. Oh, the the yeah. colors are a lot better on the yeah. on the British jacket. I mean, I, I've not seen American jackets for. I, I mean, I've seen them, but I've not seen them in the flesh. But again, They're nothing to so col- yeah. write home about. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I can I can imagine that. So, I'm gonna ask you a bit of a a bit of an existential question. Okay. Getting back to those Beatles. What do the Beatles mean to you? Oh, oh, that's the that is an existential question. The Beatles to me, I suppose. Oh, oh, that's a weird question. Um, there's, a, there's I'll a take that as a compliment. There's, a, yeah, it's 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 weird in the sense that, I yeah, it makes you go beyond what you usually consider. For me, I suppose the Beatles at their heart are the root of kind of everything I do music-wise because that was my big entry point into the world of music. I'd, um, I'd, I'd got onto it a bit through a few bits and pieces prior to that, but that was when I took my own personal dive that wasn't kind of guided by my dad or whatever. And certainly that's obviously blossomed out into everything. So obviously the Beatles' music is the reason for that. I love it. It's fantastic. But it's kind of what it gave me access to beyond that is what I love it for. Like the Beatles were were are quite possibly, you know, the best gateway drug into yeah. other avenues of music. It's like, oh, if you like this kind of Beatles song or era, you may like, you know, the the Mersey Beat stuff. You yeah. may like, you know, The Searchers. Or it's like, oh, if you like this kind of, you know, French horns and, you know, yeah. songs about streets, you may like The Kinks. Yeah. Or, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. If, if you I... like Sun King, then you <laughs> like uh, Albatross by Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I if mean... you like Baby Eric, or no, not Baby, you're a rich man. If you like It's All Too Much, then you like Sorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I Which mean, I still it's... don't know how they got away with that. I don't know. Um, I mean, it, yeah, it's it's funny. But I ultimately, yeah. And, and there was a lot of stuff I tried around the time and I couldn't get further into it. I think I needed to... Once I started doing the Back to Mono well, show, I guess, because I was doing it as part of a friend's radio station on Mixcloud initially. That's when I kind of started digging much further into the rest of the 60s music. 
And that's when I kind of allowed the beta stuff to kind of help channel me into these different avenues rather than just kind of the big things. So like when I'd, I'd pick up something like House of the Rising Sun by the Animals, because obviously that's a song everyone knows, or um, Searching, uh, the, the Kinks or the, the Stones hits or things like that. Once I started being like, okay, I need to dig deeper into this, that's where I started going deeper using those avenues and being like, okay, so they're on, they shared a number of things in common with the Hollies. Let's give them a listen and things like that. Or they mentioned this group here. Let's give a listen to them. Um, and once I'd come back around after initially having the stage where the Beatles are everything and everything else just feels lesser. And I suppose to a degree I can sometimes still get that, but ultimately you kind of, need you, you need to move on from that at some point because you want something else and you it helps you appreciate everything else that bit more and i i actually kind of feel like that's one of the now that i think about it that's kind of one of the themes of this show it's people go off into all different areas of music but there's always a you know the roots are laid in the beatles yeah and just everyone blossoms out in their own way. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense, and it, it it's very true. I mean, everyone takes something different from them, and everyone. So obviously, what I love mostly, but not exclusively, is what they're influencing directly around them, rather than what then they influenced beyond that. Although I do love a lot of that sort of, that seventies power pop type thing, which obviously yeah. is building off that, but. Like Very there's much, there's a lot yeah. of groups that get labeled like oh these guys were like where the Beatles left off, and yes. a lot of the times I don't I don't really care, with the exception yeah. of XTC which I love yeah, deeply. Fair. But um, yeah, I mean, think comparisons like that always feel a bit like it's devaluing the music. It's like it's like well no, I mean certainly there's Beatles influence, but it's it's clearly not just carrying on with that. It's in, yeah. in in order to like fully grasp how much the Beatles influenced, it really helps to listen to what their immediate influence uh, meant exactly. for the other groups around them and the, what else was going on in the music scene at the time. And here, yeah. where the Beatles were picking stuff up from as it went along, and you know, I think that's what 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 I love so much about the sixties and listening to basically anything from that period, even if I don't actually enjoy it. It's sometimes I want to hear it at least once and pinpoint where it lands to be like, okay, this is what was happening around this time. This is what people were buying. This is what people were starting to listen to, or people were writing, but weren't, and no one was listening to, because it then starts to pick up beyond that, or it's kind of oh, this is now dying off. People aren't buying this anymore, sort of thing. It's interesting and seeing how that evolves around with the Beatles kind of being the central channel over all that. I mean, the most fascinating one is uh, last year we a friend of ours their neighbor was she 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 was old and she was move, move, moving home basically and she had a load of records that she w was kind of looking to get rid of and i went over there and basically said 
I had a look and I didn't want most of the LPs, but there were a couple I got. Um, but I took all the singles because they were basically all a touch late 50s, but mostly early 60s and a little bit through the 60s singles. And I never really dug too much into that pre-Beatles period because a lot of it is kind of a bit fluffy, if you know what I mean. So are we but, talking like, uh, you know, Adam, Faith, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, Helen Shapiro. Yeah. Um, and, th- I mean, they're the main ones that kind of mentally stand out to me. There's a lot of other just bits and pieces, one-offs and things like that. But what was fascinating was, and there were a lot of Beatles singles in there as well. I ha- already had them where I compare and be like, oh, this one's better condition than mine and things like that. But Oh, this has a different all- tax stamp code. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got off that one a long time ago. I used to have like seven variations of Hello Goodbye, Once Upon a Time and things like that. Um, but um, it was interesting because most of them, they'd written a number on the label and I put them all in order. There were a couple missing, but it, it basically told a story. And you could see eventually at what point the Beatles single started kicking in and how that evolved. But it shows how much of a change that made with the music going alongside that and what a shift it was. And it really shows the impact that the Beatles had on British music at that time. And so you were, with those singles, it kind of painted a picture of that concept, but on a on a much more personal, individual yeah. scale. Yeah, exactly. Like seeing how the Beatles influenced this one person's record collection. Yeah, and they obviously were someone that was able to just pick up singles and obviously got uh, oh, LPs on. Sorry, a... you you cut oh, out. Sorry. Okay, uh, sorry, you did free, so I do. I I want. I did wonder about that, yeah. but it was interest. It was interesting seeing how it influenced. So they were able to mainly just pick up singles, clearly, but. There was obviously a couple of LPs they got, I guess, on special occasions or things like that, because suddenly in the numbers there was there was a Please Please Me in there that had a small number on it, and that fitted in perfectly at a certain point. And then I don't know if they're with the Beatles had a number, and then they had Rubber Soul as well, which did have a number, and that fitted in further down the line. So I don't know whether they had all the LPs, but they certainly had a few. Um, but it, it, it plays into that whole thing of... I remember there was a... Pete Townsend quote where it's like singles are what you bought and LPs are what you got for Christmas or your birthday or whatever because the price difference here was much more significant than it was over in the US and that's that's more so why the US you get all the L, the singles on LPs because the value didn't need to be so great as it was here yeah um so moving into the 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 more energetic <coughs> section of the show Oh, called good. the quick and it's the very mistitled uh section okay. of the show called the quick fire questions which are very quick questions with very very not quick answers I'll be as quick as I can Okay well you, someone's up for the challenge All right what is your favorite Beatles song <laughs> And now you it's see why now you see why I describe it that way Right, I'm. I, I, look- I don't mean to. I don't mean to Sophie's choice. You. Yeah. Um. Um. If it's if it's too hard, I will give you three. I'm 
gonna not think about it too much. I'm gonna regret my decision down the line. It it changes every day. Okay, what's your favorite Beatles song today? Um, well, I'm just gonna say the one that immediately comes to mind is weirdly, you can't do that. Why why? Um I just I just love it. I don't know, like part partly I play I that for a little while I was playing with with my friend in my band and it was just good fun um but i don't know i but equally i want to say and i'm going to be sticking the same album there i'll be back which i also love because but i kind of love because of how different it sounds for them um but also but i tend to like paul more so why am i saying these john songs and uh well i, I can understand uh i'll be back in in a way because I've always thought it didn't really fit on a hard date's night, but it fits in the catalog if you're listening to it in order, because the next song would be no reply. Okay, and it, yeah. And it, it, those songs feel like part one and part two. Oh yeah, I'm then, I, I'm also gonna say, like, the one I am, I suppose... I'm basically, I'm saying everything as I'm thinking out loud. Yes. Um, well, that's, that's what the show is. So I suppose if I were to give the answer for the Beatles song that I've most recently had a love affair with would be No Reply. And that's partially because I recently did the Mixology episode on the album. And ten when I'm comparing, I tend to turn up the volume quite loud in the headphones. And when that bridge kicks in, in the mono mix, it was the, like... Whoa, if like, I were you... Yeah, that, yeah. I was like, whoa, okay, this is amazing. Like, yeah. <laughs> clap, clap. Um, so, are any of these representative of what would actually be my favourite Beatles song? Maybe not. But ultimately, I'm just going to... Let's say my favourite Beatles song at the moment is No Reply. All right. Flip side of that, that's a record joke for you listeners. Ha ha ha. I feel I feel like such a douchebag for saying that just now, <laughs> because my my listeners are on average two or possibly even three times my age. Yeah. So it's it's funny just to hear it coming from a snot nosed kid. Yeah. <laughs> like that that's a that's a record joke for you guys. You might not get it. <laughs> um, what is your least favorite Beatles song? Ooh. So, I, I, I always feel like I don't want to go for any of the obvious ones that people are always like, what are, what are the obvious ones? Well, the ones people always tout about. Oh, yes, actually. Yeah, yeah please don't. Because it's, it's hard enough getting proper answers without hearing, oh, Revolution 9. Uh, Wild I listen to Revolution 9 every time I play the White Album. You are a braver man than most. I've played it for my two-year-old son. Why? <laughs> I was playing the White Album and he was in the room. Uh, how did he react? He didn't. There you have it. <laughs> um, right. I'm going to move away from the microphone for a minute while I go and stare at the shelf over there. Okay, I can, I can fill in the time. Um... So as of recording this, uh, 
the rumors are running wild about the new Red and Blue album reissues that might come out. Do I think it's a good idea? No. <laughs> it, will it come out? It might. Is it is it practical? Maybe. Who knows? We 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 don't know these things, do we? But only time will tell. And th this has been the segment of Fans on the Run that I call Filling for Time. As you may have noticed, uh, when we recorded this, uh, since now and then wasn't announced, neither was the red and the blue. Although we had a pretty good idea of what was to come. Yeah, I mean, we knew that, well, we, we figured they'd be remixed, but... And by golly, were they remixed? <laughs> they, um, they remixed it, and again, sorry, past Ethan, they did do something really stupid, and they added on more tracks to the the compilation. I can't even remember what past Ethan said about that, but I yeah, I mean, past Ethan must have been wrong. The the rumors were yeah, oh they're put doing the, an expanded version of the red and the blue. It's like, why would they do an expanded version of a pre-existing Greatest Hits? And we're still asking that question. We're still asking that question. Well after we've all bought it. I have not bought a copy of it. Ooh. I haven't revisited it since I... Man of, visit, man of principle. I visited it deeply as... as um, Listeners to this podcast may may be aware um, that that episode was an insane collection of time frames, um, managing to get the actual thing out the same day the thing came out. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, what we'll start with you, Ethan, as you didn't have to do quite the same dive. How did you feel about the whole uh, thing? Um, I felt I felt different things about about the red and, and different things about the blue. I was really happy with some of the choices made on the red, most of the choices made on the red. I thought, you know, after a few after a few remixes that we've gotten over the past few years that it felt a little underwhelming. Uh you know, there's some there's some cool stuff. You know, passable stereo mixes of of She Loves You and uh, From Me To You with the harmonica. Yeah, I mean, From Me To You is obviously great to have in its, you know, proper form as far as the harmonica goes on the intro. She Loves You, I mean, I mean, it's not fake stereo, so that's, that's an upgrade. Um, but there are maybe other issues to tackle in the future on that one. Um, yeah. But definitely the real highlight was obviously the big chunk of Rubber Soul tracks added on, which made sense for a, a fair chunk of them. Um, wait, or they not? No, I'm thinking of Revolver. No, but yeah. Rubber Soul, they only added sort of like a couple of tracks, if not maybe one. I mean, If I Needed Someone was the obvious track to add anyway. But the remixes, for the most part, the Rubber Soul stuff, I did really like... Um, Again, I haven't gone back to them since covering them, probably because I must have found something that irked me. Maybe I don't know, but ultimately, what 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 really irked you with these with these mixes? I think 
I think it's just something that I've come to note just listening to, for instance, I know it's not the same team, but I was listening to the remix of Plastic Ono Band in the car this morning. And despite the fact I think they often sound great, for instance, I put Drive My Car on, I was immediately like, wow, this does sound great. It drives. It's just for some, when I listen to these things, I'm so wrapped up in the sound of the original things that the remixes. I enjoy them and then don't necessarily come back to them. And I think when they're not in an album presentation, that's where I struggle. And I know this is technically an album presentation, but um, I I feel weird listening to half of Rubber Soul not in its like proper like flow. Um, but I mean, yeah, the remix part is regardless of the quality of a remix. I still think the remixes of the Rubber Soul material does sound good actually um now now i'm thinking more into it as i go along there were the odd moment over the red where there was odd tracks that didn't i I recorded i recorded a new episode of fans on the run last night and we talked a lot about the red and the blue yeah so it's kind of fresh on the mind okay uh my my friend guest who i shall not name um had issues with uh, Nowhere Man. Okay. And, uh, eight Days a Week. Eight Days a Week, yes. Okay. Eight Days a Week to me sounded off. I think it was just the drums just didn't sound right compared to the, the drums sound too loud. I, I don't even know if it's that. It just sounds, they don't sound crisp enough, whereas the 2015 sounds much punchier. By comparison, I thought the 2015, apart from the drums at the outro, which are now fixed, it just uh, didn't sound right. But Nowhere Man, I know a lot of pe- people mentioned about the hi-hat being a little too loud. I think it's just more compression than actual, like, a direct thing. I think it's it's always kind of there. It's just a little bit of EQ as well. Some people talked about the hi-hat potentially being slightly off. I didn't get it quite as much as others, but I did almost think about my, it. What my friend was saying was, it wasn't the hi-hat, it was the snare. Okay. Is off. That's interesting. Like, just a little bit. That's interesting, because most people I'd read were saying the hi-hat was just a little bit off. And obviously, one of those would be correct and one of those would be wrong. But if, if it is in either, potentially the boost in volume is going to make these things stand out? I don't know. That I, I, that is the big talking point on Red, I think. I think overall, though, Red was generally a success for the most part. It gets a little gets a little messy on the blue. Yes, and no, but I think the no more leans into the fact that most of it is stuff we already had. Yeah. So, yeah, there's only I can't. There's only like eleven, or was it? It's it, it's a very small number. Um, I really liked the remix of Magical Mystery too. Yep, that was that was good. Um, uh, I, I didn't have any issues. I with know that. some people had some real issues with uh, with I Am the Walrus. Most people seem to just bring up the way the outro is mixed, and to me, yeah, I didn't. I'm fine with that sort of thing. It didn't feel as I know I didn't pick up on it in the same way other people did. All that bothered me was the fact they mixed into true stereo, then kind of fake stereoized it. 
And what bothered me the most about that was the fact that Giles said he did that, or mixed it, and then someone said, why does the second half not sound weird? And it's like, just go with what you went with before. <laughs> like, oh, like it's, it's, I was just confused when I listened to yeah, it. Yeah, I... Because there's all this other stuff. I'm like, was this all on the original tapes? Yeah, it's... Or or were they, you know, compensating for uh, you know, not having everything that they had when they mixed it to mono? So it's like, okay, let's just add in uh, more radio stuff. It's so, it's so hard to know, to be honest. I mean, there's been no evidence that that stuff necessarily exists, but... Um, I think there's certain things I fe when I listen to the remix the radio frequency sound felt louder but then I go back to the mono and it's more just mixed in if that makes sense like it's not actually it's just it being mono makes it feel less obvious um, obviously the strings were were mixed down sooner and that's a big difference I think um, but yeah there's a certain radio sounds that yeah I don't know I, I don't get quite so wrapped up when the remix is already different enough that I that I don't necessarily hook onto that in the same way as it's not the same as if they're faking a performance like I don't know recording actual you know a new guitar part or something like that um, which obviously would be <laughs> inexcusable but, um, but but yeah overall what did you think of of what they did with Lou. I think um, it was it was fine. I didn't necessarily get so offended by it. I the main thing that bothered me, to be honest, was the mix of Old Brown Shoe, where the guitar kind of disappears, which is like the most the it's the best part of it really, to a degree. So that was that was very odd. Um, again, it was fine. Like. I think mo I find remixes so hard because I l look at them so analytically now rather than with an opinion. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, which I think is kind of I'm happy to have that because it makes me less angry. I look at it just factually, um, and I know some people get very, very hot-headed, uh, hot-headed about these things. So, I'd rather be in that camp than what was in the camp I'm in rather than that camp. But I also wish I cared a little bit more. And this is the segment where I come back over to the microphone and I say what track I recently decided that I like. It's kind of going to be the same effect. It's like, which track I recently went, oh, this is actually quite boring. And that's how I know you're a fellow podcast host. Because <laughs> you jumped uh, in perfectly. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. I'm going to say, and I don't know if it is one of the ones people say. I feel like the only, so before I say it, I feel like the only ones people tend to say are either Revolution 9, boring option, or Mr. Moonlight, for whatever reason. They're the two that always come to mind is what people say, but I am sticking with Beatles for Sale. Okay. Um, right. I for the For the listeners out there, which is all of you, um... I did see Fred poke his head around and look at Beatles 6, the, the American album, 
And so I'm trying to figure out before he says it. But I cannot. Uh, I'm going to say Kansas City. Really? I'm saying it because it just feels a bit boring. Um, and there's other, there's one, I suppose there's a couple of other covers on Beatles for Sale that probably do fall into the same category. All the originals are fantastic. But I I feel like I'm going to say Kansas City because, of it. again, same thing. I was doing the episode for Mixology, had the volume up loud in the headphones, and I was like, God, this is this is by the numbers, isn't it? Like it's the thing is, Honey Don't is arguably more lifeless, but I get I kind of find it funny because of it. Whereas Kansas it's, it's City, it's a very bare song. Yeah, whereas Kansas City, I don't have anything to laugh at with it. Yeah. Um, I so I will say like the first half of Kansas City is kind of boring. I I prefer the, you know, hyphenated hey, hey, hey part where they're like, bye-bye, bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you that. It does get better near the end, but ultimately I'm going to stick with my statement because that is how I felt while I was doing that, and I think if I keep thinking about these things, it's going to go on forever. Here's a larger question. Larger, larger. Lar- larger by a factor of, um, let's say, five inches. Um, okay. What's your favorite Beatle album? See what I so did there? Go from yeah. seven to twelve. If my math I, is right. I see what you did there. Your maths is correct. And we say maths over here, sir. <laughs> I I know. I know. Remember, we're funny. still a colony. I know, I'm just being humorous. Um, I tend to, because favourite album by most groups is usually a bit difficult. Not every group, some groups it's very easy, but I tend to, I, I tend to rate this by which one I have the most copies of in my collection. Okay, I'm excited to hear this one, because you have an impressive record collection, and I want to hear which album you have a lot of. But equally, you could argue I don't have a huge amount because I don't actually have a huge amount of every Beatles album. Um, but I used to have a few more copies of it and I trimmed it down when I decided that I didn't need so many others, although one or two I may regret. But that's besides the point. Rubber Soul. Why, why Rubber Soul? Because. Because. Um, no, that's I on just... Abbey Road, man. I knew you were going to say that, and I realized as I, was, as I was saying that, I thought that's not the right thing to say, Freddie. But I just, I'm, I, so I, I toss it up, and sometimes I think, oh, maybe it's revolver, or maybe it's this, or maybe it's that, maybe it's hard day's night, maybe it's help, maybe it's I don't know. But I say rubber soul because it's the one I just mentally gravitate towards the most. It's the one I most often pull out. And technically, I do have quite a few copies if you include UK and US. Yeah. But it's the only Beatles album really where you can do that and they still be different albums. So I feel like they should be categorized differently in that that statement. Yeah. Um, because otherwise, 
it would be it, it yeah it's kind of like you you wouldn't do the same with with the beatles and meet the beatles but ultimately they're a similar level of difference really um, i mean it's you can kind of do it with uh with beatles 65 and or actually no it'd be it it more accurately be you know beatles 6 and uh beatles for sale yeah i mean ultimately either way i feel like i'd regard them differently but I do, I am someone that loves the US version of Rubber Soul, and for a while it was the version I always played, specifically my Canadian Purple Label reissue, which I believe side two is the Echo Enhanced cut, um, and it sounds and boy, he, he, fantastic. I, I can't tell if you're saying this just because I'm Canadian, but I appreciate it nonetheless. This one right here. I mean, the the Canadians made some pretty good sounding Beatle records. They most certainly did. My um, Beatles Six stereo is the same issue as well, uh, Canadian Purple label, and equally sounds pretty good. Um, I'll slide this back on the shelf. One second. If you do a, I don't know. I don't think you've done uh, with the Beatles for for Mixology yet. I have not. That is still to come. I think it's the last album I need to do, actually. But just remember, there's there's a couple Canadian uh, mix differences. Which ones are you referring to? I'm referring to. Uh, well, there's. Oh, wait, wait, wait. wait, wait you're going to say about the version of "Don't Bother Me," where it's. Well, I was going to mention yeah. that, but also the the narrow and the wide. Yes. I used to have a copy of Beatlemania with the Beatles that was the narrow stereo. I sold it because I just decided that I didn't need it. Because I didn't need it. But it was nice to experience. But ultimately, I didn't need it. <laughs> and also, you... I could sell it for a bit more than I paid for it. So, you know. Oh, that's, that's always a bonus. But back to Rubber Soul. This for for is... the audience out there, he's holding up a copy of Rubber Soul, and if I have to guess, just by the cover, is that Australian? Yes. I can tell by the, the, the colours. Yeah, they're very, very washed out. And the back cover, I mean, the back cover is, makes it more obvious anyway. Previously owned by Alan. Um, Alan, if you're listening, you cannot have your album back. No, because you kept it in pretty good condition and it cost me five Australian dollars, I think, which is about three pounds because it didn't look that great and then I cleaned it up and it looked great and the Australian one uses the Dash 1 stampers, so that's always, that that's nice to have. So it's, so it's a loud cut. Yes. Um, in, and... in the same way that you, if you listen to, I think it's like the... Danish or the South African pressings of Revolver, you get the uh, Dash 1 Matrix on side 2. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I I looked it up on Discogs by, like, XEX, you know, 606-1, and the ones from other countries came up that are significantly less expensive. Oh, that's interesting. I may. I wonder, did Australia get that or not? I don't think Australia got that. That's a shame, because basically, if Australia got it, I feel like I have more of a chance of getting it. But yeah. Um, point being, 
I have an original UK mono, an original UK stereo, which was my auntie's, which my other auntie drew moustaches on all the Beatles and the Beck Carol when she was very young. Oh my god, my copy, my original mono copy of Rubber, or no, Revolver, also has uh, doodles of moustaches. For, for the listeners out there, he is holding up a copy of Rubber Soul graffitied with graffiti not graffitied I I don't think that's a word um I think it might be I'm not sure and then these are both UK monocopies um the reason I have both is because the print colour is different it's hard to tell through this webcam but you can probably tell looking at the rubber sole logo yeah so is is one like a a Garrett and Lofthouse, and one's uh, an Ernest J. Day. They're both Ernest J. Day. Oh, it's really weird. The one with the they look they look to be in too good condition to be Ernest J. Day covers. I mean, they've got that big this big smooth thing over there. So yeah, they're they're both. I mean, they're not mint, but they're both equally pretty good. And the reason I have the other one. So whichever one came second, basically, was because it was the one in that collection I got. With the numbers. Um, yeah. So that was number 61, including singles. Well, the other one was the one I got years ago at a boot fair for four quid or whatever. Um, I yeah. used to have a Pathé Marconi stereo pressing, as in the UK the contract pressing. Uh, so it was pressed in... France for yeah. the UK when that was the the oil crisis stuff. I think I what I I seventy two or seventy three. Yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. I, I've and, got a I've got a with the Beatles. It's like that. Okay, yeah. Um, and I mean it was good, but I I I had an original stereo. I basically acquired that permanently shortly afterwards, and to be honest, I wasn't really playing it in stereo. So I again I sold it. Wish I'd held on to it for longer. And sold it a bit later because <coughs> you would have gotten more money. <coughs> because I would have gotten more money, as yes. is always the case. Um, but you know, this is the way the things go, and I'm sure I spent that money on other good things, and certainly not just more. Das is the way the cookie crumbles. Exactly. Now, the flip side of that question, what is your least favourite Beatle album? I'm going to say Yellow Submarine is not a valid answer here, because it's not really an album. Correct. And I, I'm i going to assume we're talking UK catalogue? Um, if it's too hard to pick from the UK catalogue, I open it up, no, but if no, you can... I, I will make a decision based on that. Give me... Fill some okay. time for a I second. can I can fill okay, so back to the red and the blue uh impending reissues. Um so they're saying it's gonna be three discs, and I have no idea why. Because it's a it's a best of compilation. Are they gonna just fill it with hey, guess what? Here's some more songs. At that point it's like, is it still really the same compilation? Anyways. I'm gonna chip in with that. I I want I wonder I saw a thing. I wonder if they're gonna do the EP thing again with the reunion tracks for the new one, um, which to be fair would make sense. 
but equally i don't know we'll see what happens it's not what we're here to discuss right now no well we can discuss whatever we want to (coughs) but you you went away for a reason so i want to hear the reason i went away for a reason and the reason is i had a look and went which one do i put out the least because ultimately there's no least there's there's no beef sound i don't want to listen to it's just which one do i listen to the least yeah and the answer it's it's like who's the tallest dwarf exactly and the answer to that is going to be really really boring and say with the beatles okay but ultimately i looked at it and go there's a lot of songs in there i love but that's the beatles album of course there are but i just don't pull it out too often and that's 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 the answer i feel like that's yeah i'm not really gonna go dig in too much deeper than that and since since you seem to be going off of your collection for these answers i kind of just want to know in general you know besides the beatles what is the album that you have the most copies of that you will keep buying so the one i keep going for that I've decided to myself if there's the, the album I want. Just if I see an international version, so I'm not going to keep buying UK copies or I know US Mon or whatever. Is Wild Honey by the Beatles? Uh, Beach Boys, even <laughs> said Beatles too much, but yeah. yeah. Why Wild Honey? Um, I really like it. It's it has the slight benefit of um my wife really liking it, but um. I think also, I just really like it. I ended up with a few copies. Like the first copy I got was a French copy, which weirdly had a uh, catalog number announcement at the start of side two with loads of echo. It's like ST2-2859 with loads of echo on it, which is the catalog number. And then Darlin starts. Um, That's just interesting. <coughs> it really is, because I want to know if these are on you know, other records, but I eventually got a UK one, obviously, and then I've got a US one, a US mono anyway, because I wanted to see if the sound was any better. Hint, it wasn't. And then I got a, more recently, a US green label 83 issue, which was sealed, because I got it just before the prices were really shooting up, um, and I wanted a, you know, a audiophile level copy, basically, and that's kind of the best one there is. Um, those, those early 80s I'm not the biggest Beach Boys guy or expert but I I do know that the those early 80s capital budget reissues are very highly regarded especially I I have the the one for Pet Sounds and it's aside from the fact that like a few like a second is chopped off the beginning of Wouldn't It Be Nice which is really weird. Yeah, I've got a couple of records like that, and it's like, how did that happen? <laughs> but the rest of it sounds fine, so... Yeah. You know, just just pretend you accidentally kicked the turntable when you play it. And now I'm going to kind of lead in to, you know, you, you know, telling everyone where to go and, uh, you know, more about your show... I want to ask you if you're able to, off the top of your head, uh, for people who may not understand or, you know, inherently care about the differences between mono and stereo, what are, say, the top, you know, three albums that you think 
are much better in mono and much better in stereo. Are if we you, talking Beatles can. exclusively or no, albums? No, like in any any okay. album. You can you can include Beatles ones if you I'm want. Def- I'm definitely going to do that. Okay. Because I'm It's it's gonna, your list, man. Yeah. So I'm going to say as a as a slight wild card for mono. Most people tend to say stereo, but I'm going mono for the White Album or the Beatles as it's actually known. Um <laughs> because for me while many people say the stereo mix is better and cleaner, I love the grip of the mono, and I think that's one where there's enough differences to make it obvious to the listener that there's a difference between the two mixes rather than just kind of light ones, and it does just feel a bit different as well. Um, what else do we have here? Um, on the stereo end, the one that people often say, Beatles-wise, is Beatles for Sale. And for the most part, I would agree with that. There are some differences that do make the mono better for me on some tracks, but as a general listening experience, especially if you get the right, just listen, I don't know, issue or whatever, I'm not entirely sure. I've never heard a bad version of it in stereo, to be honest, but it's it's just a great full-sounding, well-balanced, well, well left-and-right-wise mix. So there's your Beatles options. Give me one second. You can edit this down if you want. No, I'll just go back in with the red and the blue. Okay. So, and they're including the new song, which I don't know if it's been confirmed 100% is now now and then, but I think it is based on everything everyone has said. But it just seems like such a weird way to release these as part of an expanded version of of an already released compilation. It's, I just, I don't know how they're going to do it. And it'll be interesting to see how Apple tries to get our money this time. I mean, I'll buy it, but I, I won't be happy about it. All right, the, the elephant in the room. Uh, when, when we w- recorded this, now and then was not even a glimmer in anyone's well no it was a glimmer in someone's eye it's just it wasn't in the public yet no there was no official word of anything the closest was as we said all of Paul was random bits and pieces but there was no official announcement no any idea of when it might be coming and yeah. yet somehow those insiders on that forum I shall not name because they scare <laughs> me um, they got it right <laughs> again it's always, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise, but it always feels weird when these things do come true. Quickly, what do you think of now and then? As quick as possible, because everyone's talked it to death. I enjoyed it for what it was as a moment in time. I don't necessarily have an overall issue with it, it's more any issues are slightly more down to the mix. I heard it last night for the first time in a little while, and I enjoyed it, but, like, it wasn't like, but it's like, I'm not like, sort of. (laughs) There we go. We can soundbite that last bit. I wasn't, but I wasn't. I'm going to lean back over and interrupt you again, because you were (laughs) not interrupting me at all. (laughs) Um... Before I say anything else, I do want to add in the caveat that I do think, for the most part, 
every album has its high points in both mixes. I don't think there's a single album where there isn't, say, a stereo mix that beats out one of the tracks in mono or the other way around. But that said, some other albums that I do love the specific mix of, um, I am going to lean down and say The Who Sell Out again. I know the 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 stereo the the mono, especially the version you can listen to now, sounds a little lo-fi to a degree. But because of what the album's going for with the radio broadcast sound, it suits it. And our love was in mono is just next level. Um, if if there's one song I'm going to say listen to in mono and stereo to understand it, do that. See, I I would say uh, the one song for me is a uh, real okay that's fair especially yeah i i completely get why you said that as well and i i feel like it it sounds the best it was the highlight for me with the the recent you know who sell out remasters yeah. i love the the new you know remaster of the mono real part one and two yeah no, but I, I that 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 album's one of my favorite albums of all time. Okay, well, for a long go, time, yeah. so yeah. I'm I'm biased in no, any, I mean that, any direction. I mean your opinions would be even more valid than mine then. But um, what else are we gonna say? I'm gonna say uh for another album. This is actually quite hard for me, surprisingly. Uh, stereo wise, it's late. It's a late one for mono, but. Arthur by the Kinks. Okay. Um, the mono is good, but the stereo is just that much. I mean, it came out in 1969. Stereo, for the most part, was pretty well established yeah. by that point. Pe- people had mostly gotten the ha- gotten mixing and stereo yeah. down. And this is one where there's a great air in the mix. For a number of tracks, you've got the dry drums in the right and there's room over in the left. So the drums feel really spread, but in a like you're in in the room source of way. And there's also just the mono. There's a few tracks where in the mixing there's distortion on top, just where it gets dynamically loud. But in mono, that is just especially on Shangri La and she's brought a hat like Princess Marina at the end. The distortion is just a little too much, um, probably unintentionally to be honest. It's, they're just very dynamic songs, and Ultimately, yeah, the stereo is the way to go for that one. I've done, I, I've, I've done two of each now, haven't I? <laughs> I, you've, yes, two of each. I'm stressful right now. Oh, uh, if, oh here's if a you good one. Here's, okay, go ahead. No, one definitely mono over stereo for me is Aftermath by the Rolling Stones. The stereo has too much echo in the mix, obviously to give it space but the mono is dry up front and makes it more enjoyable. The stereo is a little bit more boring by comparison, in my opinion. But that said, don't pick up an original US mono. It's a fold down. So Well, I would say don't pick up an original US mono because it's it's a weaker version of the album. That is it's very It's just because it has painted black doesn't mean it doesn't have Mother's Little Helper. Exactly. So... And I will give you that. I just wanted to throw that out there because it's. Uh, I always feel it's an important little caveat. Um, now, now you have one more for stereo. Oh, I'm. G- oh, here's a good one. Butterfly by the Hollies. I was waiting for you 
to bring up Butterfly. <laughs> which, which version of Butterfly? Because I know off the top of my head, there's the, there's the British, there's the American, and there's a German. So, the simple one for me is going to be the British one, because it's the most complete one. It's got all the sound effects, it's got the lack of like it, it's it's gapless as as far as the album goes and it just makes the most sense the german is missing some of the sound effects and obviously has elevated observations play twice which is funny but a little bit random and then the u.s is obviously just a mess but yeah. equally has a lot of unique mixes on it which have only been issued on that original lp and that is endlessly frustrating were were they reissued on that uh, Sunday's CD or no that that uses all the UK mixes the German ones have been on CD I, I know that because yeah. I've been sent a nice rip by a friend ah I equally have a nice rip of that but I also have the German LP because yeah you know I mean on, I have on, the UK mono is it I have on Hansa Hansa yeah yeah um was was that weird mix of uh try it on any of the LP versions, or just as the the B side to just, uh, 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 Jennifer, Jennifer Eccles. Yeah, Jennifer Eccles. Yeah, yeah. I've got it on an Australian single, but it was in the US as well, and probably some other countries. But I think anywhere it was the B side to Jennifer Eccles is the unique mix. I've never, I've not come across one that uses the correct mix, which is good. Which means it's easier to get, but. Um, yeah. Which, uh, for such a unique mix, I will admit, it is a terrible mix. Oh, of course. To listen I mean, to. It, it's it's clearly it's, a it's one of my favorite Holly songs. Try yeah. it, because it's just so far out. Yeah. And but just having it sound like Alan Clark is shouting at you from the end of a long, long, like tall ceiling hallway. Yeah. I get it's, what they were going for with it, but ultimately it's clear. It's like, it, we'll it play just sounds this, like someone forgot to push up a few faders. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's a no, but equally, I've got to have it. Yeah. And now I turn things over to you. What is your show, and where can people find it? My show is mixology. Or shows <clears throat> with I mean, yes. yeah, that's very true. The simple, the simple answer to that is my show is Mixology, the Mono and Stereo Mixed Differences podcast, which is a very succinct title, but I also realised after creating it that Mixology is something to do with drinks. Um, but if you type in Mixology podcast into Google, I'm one of, if not the first thing that comes up, so I feel like my success there is endless. <laughs> um, Mixology is basically a show where I take the mono and stereo mixes of classic albums in the 60s to do my uh, usual spiel and i compare all the differences between them but this also extends to remixes in some cases single mixes strains national mixes the whole the whole shebang if i may give a plug for you good example yeah. of of uh, an episode around remixes is his episode on last year's uh beach boys box set or was it 2021? Uh, no, it was last. It was the, last year. The, the new, sounds of summer set. Yeah, yeah. Which sounds okay. Some points. Sound, <laughs> it sounds a little. Sounds a little weird. But um, 
Yeah. They tried their best. It was that was that that was that was a fun one to do for sure. Um but that is that is the ma- that is the main show and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts which you can is find it nice. wherever you you listen to fans on the run. Exactly. I mean there may be some obscure platform that that one is on and one isn't. I don't know. Uh, well, I I don't think either of us know every platform where our show oh, is I available. keep finding I, I I search I search Mixology every now and then it's like what is this website it's on? <laughs> it's I I have to go into my I host my show through Podbean. Oh, so and, do I. So I'm sure. And so I, I go places. in. And it's like, okay, where the hell is this being distributed? Ah, <laughs> oh. um, but beyond that, I most well, basically everything else I do currently is essentially over at the Patreon for it, which is patreon.com forward slash Back to Mono, and it's Back to Mono because I used to do a show called Back to Mono on Mixcloud which the history of it is all still there, but basically Mixcloud changed their policy at some point, so you can only post so many free episodes, and thus I decided to move it exclusively to the Patreon from £1 a month. So if you do wish to support Mixology, you can get back to Mono, which is about an hour long, uh, once a month for an extra pound. So, And that's basically where I go through, I play records from my collection, Mono Mixes of course, chat about them, just have a little bit of fun. There's many more shows beyond that, including mainly Mixology on 45, which takes a look at non-LP cuts from the 60s. So, I don't know. Good example of Paperback Writer and Rain. If I may so. say, uh, actually, how I discovered your show is oh. I love following accounts on Instagram that post pictures of records. And I found your account, and I just kept seeing, oh, he's posting all these cool pictures of British records. But the descriptions are like, new episode where we discuss the mono and stereo. And it's like, what? Someone's doing this? <laughs> and then I, I've, lis- I, I've listened ever since. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that, that was, that's kind of the plan with the Instagram stuff. And to be honest, I, I created the podcast because I wanted to listen to that podcast. Exactly. That's why and... I started this, this show. Yeah, and that that I think that's always the best motivation for anything. You, like this. Even is it the same for you, where it's like your target audience is yourself, and if other people find it interesting, then it's a bonus. Definitely, although at this stage I've made enough, and I'm I do enough work on the it and everything that goes on around it in my spare time that. If other people aren't listening, I don't know where I'd go with that. But <laughs> but the main show, definitely. I discover so much. The one that really blew me away when listening to the different mixes was Odyssey and Oracle by the Zombies. Because at that stage, I always thought, oh, they're not that different. There's some, There are some clear ones. But, but then suddenly when I was doing it, it's like, oh, there's so much more echo in this mix than this mix on so many of the tracks. Um, um, the fact that some of them were... I, I say some of them as if I'm not just talking about this will be our year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with missing horns and all that stuff. I mean, that the stereo mix is a remix done in the 90s. So yeah. that's. That it's not a bad remix. That. Oh, but it's just missing. I For years, I just assumed it was the original mix. And then suddenly one day I heard the mono mix. And I was like, what? It, it, I, the horns sounded so odd to me at first, but now it's the way I, I know it. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite records ever. 
Uh, I would that 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 the mono the original mono LP of that is something I am forever hunting for. The, I've seen the, the closest, original stereo. The closest thing I've ever found is the jacket to an original British oh. with uh, the reissue from Time of the Zombies in in the sleeve instead. Oh, Which I that's... it was I will admit it was two hundred dollars and I almost bought it because I'm like someone may on Discogs eventually post a copy that's just like you know record only no jacket and it would be cheaper and I could get a copy piecemeal. Yeah, which is kind of where I'm going with that Disraeli gears, but that was a free jacket compared to a two hundred dollar jacket. So. And at that time, I had also just spent a ludicrous sum of money on an original Canadian in the shrink copy of Odyssey and Oracle. So it's oh, like, okay, can I yeah. really justify spending yeah. this much money on an album which I had like three weeks before spent a large sum of money? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean with that. But anyways, I'll do my little spiel. Let's see if I remember it all. (laughs) If you like what you've heard so far, or if you're a repeat listener and you want to give some feedback, uh, please feel free to leave a review wherever you find good podcasts. But just make sure the review is nice. I am hanging on by a thread, so... If you have negative feedback, please email fansontherunpodcast at gmail.com and I will take it under advisement. But <laughs> you can find you can find us on Instagram at fans on the run podcast. You can find me on whatever uh, you know, the platform formerly known as Twitter at fans on the run pod. You can find us on Facebook with the, the long title of the show and you can find us on threads now for some reason uh, at fans on the run, which finally the other fans on the run don't get the full URL. And this is mine. This is mine. <laughs> but on Instagram, you can see all the graphics I do for each episode of the show, which, you know, it's fun. We we haven't decided what it'll be for this show yet. So no, I, I can't, to, I, I can't I hint at it. Or, yeah, we'll work it we'll, out. We'll, I, we can work it we'll, out. We'll keep it. We'll keep it a surprise. We'll keep Although, it. If you're, if we'll you're keep it a surprise. Stage, it's not a surprise if you're listening to this. No, but regardless, yeah, we'll decide that down the line. I reckon. And there's there's one last thing I want to say to you, Fred. Oh, and yes. I mean this in the nicest possible way. Uh, you have gotten a song lodged in my head so severely the past few days that I can only say, go fuck yourself. Because <laughs> I can't get uh, Surround Yourself with, with, sorrow, yeah. with Sorrow by Scylla out of my head. Because yeah. you posted a video of you know, your fellow drummer. Yeah. It is such a fun song to drum along to as well. It is. Because it's that it's period of... An well, and it's that period of the '60s where, you know, even if it's not like a, you know, a far out thing, it yeah. still has a pretty groovy backing track. Oh, that period is so heavy on just bomb bombast bombasticity, if that's the word. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, the horns are huge on it, and yeah, the drums are equally huge, and it's, it it's sound- fantastic. Like, the drumming sounds like something, uh, maybe not quite Mitch Mitchell. Yeah, I uh, But mean. maybe, like, uh, you know, Bobby Elliott. Yeah. Like, it, it can, it kind of reminds me of King Midas. In some I ways. get what you mean, because it's boop, boop, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. I found that through, and I think I did mention it on the Back to One episode where I played it, but it was, there's a Sandy Shaw song called Heaven Knows I'm Missing Him Now, which was, she recorded after she initially recorded Surround Yourself with Sorrow. Her demo, it's clear why they didn't release it, it's way out of her range. And then that was, Heaven Knows I'm Missing Him Now is clearly someone else trying to write the same song. It's a great song, but... Scylla doing Surround Yourself with Sorrow came out amazingly. I mean, yeah. And, I, and I'm normally, it. you know, if it's, you know, Scylla versus Sandy, I'm usually team Sandy. Me too. Because, hey, you know, before I had this stuck in my head, for the last, like, five months, I've had uh, As Long As You're Happy Baby stuck in my head. Interesting. And I picked up, like, the one Canadian... 45 of that I have found on Discogs. Oh, I, I need the UK 45. It's like well, it's a, on an EP. As well. I've, got, I've got it on an EP. I've got the EP, but I just want that original because I'm a big 45 collector. So yeah. it's, there's only sort of four of her singles I'm missing now in the 60s anyway. Well, when my, when my new turntable or when my new setup's up and running, I'll send you a needle drop. Please do. <laughs> So, in the time between when we recorded, uh, if I if I may do a pun, in between now and then, <laughs> uh, we we actually met in the flesh. We did, um, because you were gallivanting across the UK, and we coincided in the London, of course, and had a lovely day of record shopping. Uh, guided slightly by myself to some of my favourite spots in the city, including Flashback in, well, in uh, the Shoreditch and Angel, Reckless yeah. and Sister Ray in, uh, I don't really know what area that is, but most people know where they are. Soho? Uh, yeah, that counts as Soho. Did we go anywhere else? Or was it just those four? Um, you had a diversion. I, I, went, I went somewhere else. But I I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about that. That's alright. I didn't... Well, I did go there. I went outside. I felt so... Okay, here's the thing. I felt so bad in retrospect. Uh, just... Uh, so I, I went to do this thing. And it took about an hour. And it was smack dab in the middle of the day with Fred. And... You know... For, for what it's worth, the thing was something I was not going to not let Ethan do. Like, you know, it's one of those things, so. Ah, fuck it. I went to Abbey Road. <laughs> That's what I did. I went to Abbey Road. I felt bad. I felt so bad. Like, walking in, and I saw Fred through the door. It's like, am I just going to leave him outside? I mean, hey, it was your big trip, so... You know, I say your big trip. That's not necessarily quite, like, you know, family trip. So, 
<laughs> the, the interesting thing is, though, uh, Now and Then was announced while I was in the studio. Oh, well, it was teased. It was teased. Yes, that was it. It was kind of, yeah, you came out and I was like, Ooh. the first the first official uh, you know teaser stuff came out like when I when I uh, walked out and I checked my phone. Yeah. And then I Fred and I, you know, regrouped at a pub and uh, as you do in London. He said, yeah. And then he said they've they've uh, they've announced it because we were kind of guessing when they were going yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah, God, I've forgotten that was that day. That was fun. I think he asked me if I heard it. Uh, I think I pro- I don't know. I probably asked something, but you know, you hadn't. So. No, I I had, but then, then eventually I did, and it, yep, it was the song. <laughs> it was out of all the songs with the. Under the name The Beatles, this was the most recent. <laughs> the main. All right, let's get let's get out of here for you. Oh, sorry, I I interrupted. Oh no, I it, it it's it's irrelevant. You just punch back in. Yeah. Well, future Fred, let's go back to the future. Indeed, future Ethan. Back to is it the future or is it the past? Who knows? I well, I think it's I think it's also who cares. Indeed, <laughs> who cares what they say about? Oh, I can't remember the lyrics. I was going to make a McCartney reference and I failed. Who cares what the idiots say? Those being Ethan and I. And with that, Fred, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. I'm always going to talk about Beatles and all the rubbish that goes along with it. That, you know, I think you just described my show perfectly. All, the Beatles and all the rubbish that goes along with it. That's what I'm here for. See, and you didn't even need to send that to fans on the run podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> I'm the one talking the rubbish. No, usually, well, the last episode I recorded, I I said out loud that it would be funny to start a Beatles account just for the purpose of uh, disinformation, just to, you know, yeah, be fun. It'd be funny. But that being said, audience out there, thank you for listening. Thank you for your continued support. But again... Thank you for listening. You can go home now. <laughs> so long, everyone. Fans on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Fuller. This has been a Showtown production.